So uh, when Johannes asked me to come talk here at uh, Robo Exotica, I wasn't quite sure why, because I don't really have anything to do with um, robots or cocktails. Um, and so then he told me that the theme was the ghost in the machine. And I don't really have anything to do with ghosts or machines either. Um, so I went around and tried to figure out uh, what what this Ghost in the Machine stuff was all about, because really the only thing I know about is um, the Internet and how people use the Internet. Um, so what I found out was that the term comes from a British philosopher, uh, Gilbert Ryle, who used it in uh, 1949 uh, to sort of make fun of uh, Descartes' mind-body theory. Um, and then this guy, Arthur Kessler, wrote a book uh, by that title in 1967. Um, as you can tell, he's a very serious guy who likes to put his hand on his head and smoke a bunch. Um, but that's actually, he does other things besides smoke and put his hand on his head and be very serious. Um, so what, what he wrote about in this book is basically a whole lot of things that don't have anything to do with uh, ghosts and machines, but it's, it, it sort of boils down to sort of a mind-body dualism being primitive mind holding over into modern mind. Um, so basically what he was saying is that like old negative impulses, anger, rage, etc., are holdovers from pre-evolved uh, primates, and that our, our modern mind, uh, being much more evolved and logical, um, gets left over from these things. Um, so quoting from Wikipedia here, this says about his book, Arthur's book, one of the book's Central concepts is that the human brain has grown, it has built upon earlier, more primitive brain structures, and that these are the ghosts in the machine of the title. Kessler's theory is that at times these structures can overpower cognitive logic and are responsible for hate, anger, and other such impulses. Um, so I read more and more about this, and basically they're saying that the instinctual stuff like eating, sleeping, breathing, fucking, protecting your own, blah, 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 those are all the old leftover stuff from when we ran around in caves. And the new stuff like driving, writing, painting, flying, writing emails, building rocket ships, robots, making coffee, that's all the new stuff that we've learned. Um, but um, the old stuff is still stuck in our, in our heads. So no matter how logical and, and uh, reasoned we try to be, that old stuff uh, shows up in there and actually is what really drives us. Um, and so I was thinking about how this might translate into uh, the web and online communities. And so I started thinking that possibly um, websites and the internet um, and companies that are creating things, those are sort of the evolved, like really uh, super modern um, version of the brain. And the communities that are on these sites, that's actually what, what, really, runs, um, what really runs the websites. So the communities are sort of the leftover primitive brain and the, the websites themselves are super, the, the mod, super logical evolved thing. And so I sort of wanted to see uh, how that might work. And so I, I looked at a couple examples. And so the first one um, would be uh, Friendster, um, which, you know, as you might know, is a big online community. And... Um, the example I'm going to look at is uh, versus the Fakesters. So uh, Friendster is an example because basically they, um, they built this website. It's supposed to be a big dating website. They got all these people to go on it. 
social networking, get people to talk to each other and figure all this stuff out. And the problem is people started using it um, in a very different way than what Friendster wanted them to use it. Um, instead of just creating their own profiles for themselves, they started making up profiles for their cats or for uh, fictitious people or um, just something that they thought was funny. And then people would add those as friends. And while that was amusing you know, to just the users, it was very unamusing to the people at Friendster because it messed up their whole idea of how people would be connected. You're only supposed to be connected to people that you knew. So if uh, somebody said that they were friends with a movie character and then somebody else also said they were friends with that movie character, then they would be one person apart, where in actuality they didn't really know anybody. So Friendster basically uh, like waged war on, on the, the people on the site. Uh, they were deleting these profiles. People were creating the profiles. They were deleting them, creating them, deleting them, creating them. And it was really not fun for a while for Friendster. They they had to go to excessive moderation to try to tackle all of this. And, and basically they were fighting the people who wanted to use their site. So they weren't listening to the community at all. They were, they were really like, we know better than the community, and so um, you guys are wrong, basically. And what happened was pe- people didn't want to have anything to do with it, so they were like, we're out. <laughs> um, and so people started leaving Friendster because of this policy. And while that was bad for Friendster, it was also really bad for all the rest of us because it made room for other things to come in and, and take the place of that, um, which were worse than, <laughs> than what we had in the first place. Um, and so people started uh, taking off from Friendster, going to MySpace, and then... Friendster realized that that was a bad thing and um, tried to get those people back by now allowing these Friendsters. Um, but they couldn't just, you know, say it's okay. They had to try to figure out how to make some money on it as well. And uh, so they started running, making their own Friendsters uh, for ad campaigns. And and people just weren't weren't going for it at all. So it pretty much, they, they lost their chance on there by tr- by fighting the people who were using their own sites. Uh, so now another example of not necessarily fighting the sites um, would be a site called Dig, dig.com. And um, yeah, so the point of that is that, um, yeah. All right, my notes are messed up. But anyway, what I was trying to get at here is that uh, Friendster didn't listen to the community at all, and uh, possibly Dig uh, does listen to the community. So there was uh, this situation where... Um, uh, the DVD code was cracked, and people started posting the the hex code to, for cracking uh, HD DVD on the website. Um, Dig had always had some sort of basic moderation to enforce a policy on their site. They were, you know, deleting illegal things, pornography, you know, things that sort of stood out as, as bad in one way or another. They uh, were removing them from the website. So when somebody posted this uh, HD DVD code not thinking that it was that big of a deal until people started freaking out that they were being censored. Um, people were drawing conclusions to the fact that some of these companies were advertising on Dig and therefore Dig must be in their pocket, you know, trying to control the, this flow of information. And, you know, what, what can you really, you know, why should you be able to trademark just a, you know, random sequence of, of letters? And... Um, you know, Dig didn't really know what to do about it. So it was it was going back and forth for a little while where people were still posting it, Dig was deleting it, people were getting upset about it, Dig wasn't saying anything, people, more people were posting it, more people were deleting it, 
um, and people started to notice and, and people were writing about it on other sites, Hey, like what's going on on dig right now? There's, there's some sort of weird situation going on. And, and so, um, when this started to spread around and you would go look at dig, what you would see is a front page that was nothing but this hex code. So every single article on the front page of Dig was relating to this hex code, and then they would delete all these articles, and you would reload it in five minutes, and it would be all full of this hex code again. Um, and this caused a big problem, because what was Dig going to do at this point? Just continue to delete every single story that was submitted to them? Um, and, you know, it was, it was turning into an example of a 21st century digital revolt. Um, and so this got unmoderatable. Basically, there was just no solution. It was getting posted, deleted, posted, deleted, and there had to be some other way out of this. And so what Dig did was um, decide to stop trying to fight their community and listen to them and see what that was all about. So Kevin Rose made a blog post. Kevin Rose is the guy's behind Dig. Made a blog post with the hex code himself, and what he said was, after seeing hundreds of stories and reading thousands of comments, you've made it clear you'd rather see Dig go down fighting than bow to a bigger company. We hear you, and effective immediately, we won't delete stories or comments containing the code, and we'll deal with whatever the consequences might be. If we lose, what the hell, at least we died trying. So this was an interesting, interesting approach, because rather than fighting their community, they decided to listen to them, and what happened was the situation went away immediately. Everybody was, all the users were happy, um, there was really no way for the HDDVD people to act on this without it just being a complete PR nightmare for them. Um, and so the whole situation died overnight. This could have killed Dig uh, from the user standpoint, but instead they listened to the users and it worked out for them. So that is an, an example of the, uh, the company knowing that they don't really know what's going on um, and that possibly the users are smarter and just listening to that. Um, but it doesn't really have to be one way or the other. It doesn't have to be company versus users or, you know, users driving everything. Um, they can also sort of work in tandem. Uh, so there's a site called um, Suicide Girls, which is a pay site um, that shows naked tattooed girls. Um, but what it also does is has a very strong community around the site, um, they have message boards, groups, um, local setups, all sorts of things where basically any member can create a group based on any sort of topic or any sort of interest or anything that they're interested in, and other users can join these groups and they have huge discussions. And actually, these groups get way more traffic than uh, the naked stuff on the site, which is kind of interesting in lots of different ways. Um, but some of the groups have you know, two, three million members, um, some of the groups have, you know, half a million comments in them. Uh, the way their site works is that as long as you pay for the site, you can contribute to anything. If you don't pay for the site, you can read everything, but you can't post any comments. So a lot of people actually join the site to try to be a part of these communities. And so Suicide Girls, the company focuses specifically on, okay, we make these pictures and this is our thing, but all the community stuff they leave completely in the hands of the users. So they don't decide what the groups are going to be. They don't decide what the topics in the groups are going to be. They don't decide who's in the groups. They leave that entirely up to the members. So the members moderate and run all of it, uh, which has created a really interesting support group inside of the site. This is something that we try to do a bit with uh, 
with my site, Metroblogging. Um, we started basically because we wanted to have a site in Los Angeles that was providing some content that we couldn't find elsewhere. And when we started growing to other cities, uh, we decided that we really don't know what other people want in other cities. And so rather than us try to force what we think will work on them, we tried to just leave it all in their hands. So right now we're in just under 60 cities around the world. Um, we have over 700 active bloggers on our sites, three in India, three in Pakistan, Southeast Asia. We're pretty much everywhere. And our number one site is Los Angeles, but our number two site is Karachi, Pakistan. We sort of leave everything that we can up to the users in those sites. We try to give them the tools and then let them let them run with it because I know what works in Los Angeles, but I don't know what works in Karachi. Meanwhile, the guys who are writing for the Karachi site, they know what works in Karachi. So um, for me to try to impose any of my limited knowledge on them would be really stupid, whereas they have it figured out already. So I just give them the tools and let them run with it. Another example is something where there's nothing except the community. Um, so in Los Angeles, there's a thing called Midnight Riders, and it's basically a bunch of people with bicycles who decided to start riding bikes around in the middle of the night. Um, it's not like uh, Critical Mass or any other like big group bicycle rides in that there's really no politics involved with it. It's just people who wanted to ride bikes on big major streets when there's no cars around um, with a lot of their friends and you know have a good time doing it. So they started doing this a set time every month, and a few months into it, uh, it started growing and growing and growing, and, and several years later now, there's 1,500, 2,000 people that show up every time they do one of these. And so um, they created a website for it, which is not driven by anybody other than the community. There's no, there's no organizing force behind it except for just the community that runs the site. So every little bit of it, um, even the programming, is, is run by the people who you know, are taking part of this, and, and there's not really anything. So that's another possible twist on this. Um, so sort of to wrap this all up, I don't really have a conclusion um, that I was really trying to impress upon you, other than that um, these two elements to this, you know, sort of the company or the community, um, could translate into sort of the primitive and the modern mind um, and work the same way. You know, how do these two elements of the same thing work together? How do they find a, a happy place where they can both relate? Because when, when one side takes over the other, they don't necessarily work out that well. Um, but the more logical side, when it understands that it's not necessarily the smartest side, then things uh, generally work out better. Okay, okay. Uh, any questions from the audience? To Jean, yes. So the, the big hex code debacle with yeah. DIG, um, do you think that there's a way that DIG could have managed that without exposing themselves to all that legal liability? Because there was a lot. I, what we did on Boing Boing was we, um, we linked to the Google search results page for all the pages that contain that number. And, of course, that link itself also contained the number, mm -hmm. but we didn't publish the number. Do you think if they'd, like, search and replace that, if it ever came up in a post, if they just had the, it replaced with a link to the Google search results for the number? Yeah, I mean, there are certainly lots of different technical ways they could have got around it. You know, like, their, their initial reaction to just wholesale delete every reference to it was wrong, you know? And I think that the, you know... 
how they specifically corrected things along the way. It, it could have gone 50 different ways. You know, the, the point that I was trying to make was that they realized, like, hey, we're wrong, and we need to do something different here uh, because the community sort of, like, went into an, an uproar, which, which worked out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there's probably many different ways that they could have done it better without actually exposing themselves. Um, but it was good that they listened. Uh, I think they needed to realize that it wasn't their problem I mean, it's user-submitted content, well, and right. as part of their terms of service, they don't have to police the site. I mean, if somebody reports it, they have to look at it. Right. But, you know, oh, it's, it's in their terms of service that, you know, we are not responsible for our users' content. You, as the user for submitting it, are responsible. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, running user-submitted stuff myself, you know, I, I, I think that makes perfect sense, and, and that's sort of the point, is that they, they reacted wrong initially, and realized that they were wrong and went back and did something different, which was good. But, yeah. Do you know how they solved the problem in Germany? Because Flickr was censoring images with nudity and stuff because nobody knew which law they wanted to do. Uh, they followed some sort of law, which was actually a lot stricter in the USA than in Germany. Yeah, I don't know the, specific, um, the specifics of Flickr because it's been different in several different countries. Um, in, in the U.S., they... It's an ongoing situation, actually. They, they regularly put people's images behind sort of, oh, this isn't you know, a naughty image, so it can't be public. And meanwhile, it's a picture of somebody's cat or something. Um, and then there'll be somebody else's account that has you know, like full-on nudity that isn't. Um, and so people are often writing in to say, hey, why are my pictures being removed? What did I do wrong? And they're saying, oh, no, sorry, that was a mistake in fixing it. So I don't know what... I know that it's been different on a country-by-country basis, and I don't know what happened in France at all, and I know that there's not even a solution for what's going on in the U.S. Okay, uh, then a question from me, because we're talking about the ghosts and the machines, and there is a long discussion, like a long, long discussion about artificial intelligence and lots of vaporware, like, blabber about that. Uh, nowadays, we see that there is lots of, like, what we call augmented reality, Mm -hmm. So when, like, there's not, the focus is not on creating machines to think or, like, putting more ghosts, like, into machines, but somehow, like, connecting machines with, uh, with people to, mm -hmm. like, form, like, a new kind of, like, uh, so to basically help stimulate and, and help improve, like, how people work and how, how they use gadgets. What do you think about that? Well, I think that... Keeping the people a part of it is what's crucial in that. Like the people need to, you know, like the more machine you build, the, the people need to be the ghost in it, you know. So what, what I was making a point with this is that the communities are the ghosts, you know, in these, uh, in these corporate website sorts of things. But as far as, as what you're talking about, you know, like the more you build onto it and the more machine you're putting into it, um, if the people are not still a part of it, then it's going to lose sort of its soul. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of the driving thing is, is the people in all of this. And you can never fully replace people, you know. I mean, that's what makes us us, kind of. I always have to be a, a little bit in there. If there are no more questions, I guess. Uh, thank you very much, Sean Bonner. <laughs>